All right, uh, Titus 3, and uh, we're, uh, we're finishing up a, uh, a me- actually series of messages we've been working through on, on corrupt worship. And if you remember, we went back to, uh, uh, to a, a couple of three or four different instances, and one that was largely being done in Israel uh, by the time Malachi comes along. Uh, but uh, this is going to be a different twist or turn on this series, and this will be uh, maybe the end of this lesson. And so let's uh, kind of read through this here, Titus 3, verse number 3. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, deserving, uh, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying. These things I will thou, uh, that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are, not, they are unprofitable and vain. You pray with me and for me this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to come together. Uh, we are most, uh, 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 we want to be aware of your presence and your, uh, your word in our hearts and lives. It's so easy for us just to allow the word just to go in one ear and many times out the proverbial other. But Lord, we do pray that you would help speak to hearts today. Change us, Lord. Uh, help us to understand why we're here today. And may we give you glory. May we give you honor. May you, Lord, be lifted up through, uh, Lord, what we're going to do with what we hear today. And may, Lord, lives be changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Going back to the first lesson that we talked about back in Leviticus chapter 10, when Nadab and Abihu offered strange fire to God, uh, it was instant uh, judgment on both those boys. And the fire came down and consumed them. And uh, the camp of Israel were, were, were fearful for what God did there. Uh, It was corrupt. It was instant. The judgment was instant. Uh, We went from there over to the book of Exodus chapter 32, uh, where we find reference later in the Bible uh, that it was a time of provoking God uh, in the wilderness where they worshiped the golden calf. They fashioned a golden calf uh, in the wilderness. And the Bible says that God spoke to Moses and says that the people have corrupted themselves, corrupt worship. And we discussed and worked through that. It was instant, again, judgment. Uh, then we find Nadab and Abihu. Then we find Jeroboam where he uh, uh, set up two worship, uh, I guess, temples, uh, centers, if you would, in the northern kingdom. Uh, one in Samaria, or rather one in Dan and one in Bethel. Uh, the northern kingdom, uh, of course, under the first king being Jeroboam. And he put a golden calf in both of those 
uh, temples and and said almost the exact quote from Exodus 32 and said, These be the gods, O Israel, which brought thee out of the land of Israel, uh, Egypt. And, and they worshiped the golden calf, the Bible says, and it became sin unto them. And the, it's interesting how Jeroboam was compared as uh, a very wicked king or the sins of Jeroboam. You'll find that mentioned throughout the northern kingdom's dynasty. It's always compared to how bad uh, he was. And, uh, and it was corrupt worship. The interesting difference between the uh, judgment that came in Exodus 32, the judgment that came in Leviticus chapter 10, was that the judgment did not come right away. Uh, in fact, it was something that was uh, uh, delayed and it came later. And Jeroboam pr- probably had no idea what he was doing when he set those temple worships up uh, and mirrored almost exactly what Exodus 32 did. But the judgment did not fall. It came later. It's, uh, it's interesting. Sometimes we do things in our life and we don't realize the consequences uh, are not necessarily going to be paid by us. Although our children and our children's children will be adversely affected by the decisions we make. And, uh, and you can't underestimate a generational perspective on what every parent needs to have uh, in this life. Uh, a, good, a good study would be Psalm 78. In Psalm 78, you find four representations of generations, and the fifth generation, uh, or the fifth representation is that their children may set their hope in God. So many times we think of what we're just going to do our own thing and not realize that there's kids coming after us and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, and, uh, and it does have... It's costly. It really is. So don't, don't just live your life just for yourself and for the few years that you have here because your life is much bigger than that. I know the Lord's coming back, and I believe it's soon. But I also need to be living as if there's another generation coming. I need to be living as if there's another uh, uh, kids and, uh, and grandkids and great-grandchildren that are going to come after me. I cannot negate my responsibility to my generation and to the generation that is coming. I, I, my, my son and I were, have been talking. He got onto that Ancestry.com, and uh, he's doing a whole DNA test. And, boy, we're on the phone, and, and I'm trying to have a little retreat with my wife and we had to talk to Jonathan about our great, 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 great. I think it goes back 15 greats back there. And then we had actually a really good, interesting conversation uh, with some of the stuff that he was finding all the way back to the 1400s with my, my, my wife. And there was a, there was a Duke of something back there that, you know, she's got royalty and mine, uh, my, uh, my family tree is more of a twig. Uh, <laughs> He said, I feel, I feel bad for dad. You know, he can't find anything. It's like these people come out of nowhere and uh, they die and there's no memory of them. I said, well, that's unfortunate. But, uh, uh, but the, the, the thing is that life is so quick, isn't it? And we do have kids that come after us and grandchildren. But Jeroboam doing this corrupt thing that he did out of fear for himself and his power and his kingdom, uh, he created a worship center that was going to ultimately bring to ruin the northern kingdom under the Assyrian Empire. Corruption. Then we went to Malachi last week. We talked about the worship of apathy, uh, just worthless worship. I mean, bringing your second best to God uh, or your worst. Uh, And what they were doing in Malachi's day, chapter 1, is when they were bringing their worst sheep, they were bringing their worst sacrifices, lame, diseased, blind, uh, and they were saying, well, give it to God. (laughs) After all, God's going to kill it anyway, and so let's just give it, give him our our, our worst. And it was, it was, it was worthless worship or worship of apathy, just 
apathetic. And I believe today that Malachi 1 is interesting because they didn't have to deal with what they were dealing with uh, there during the kings. They had paganism that got into the temple. I was going to take you to Ezekiel today as Ezekiel's vision being taken by the hair of his head. That probably was not comfortable, uh, into a, a, the temple and look at what really was going on inside the temple. And it was just corruption. And once you get through the facade, it was just corruption inside the temple. A real interesting picture to the New Testament church, corruption inside of us, inside the body. Uh, but uh, but uh, this here is interesting. Malachi 1 last week was not dealing with paganism. It was just dealing with lethargy, dealing with an attitude that, you know, uh, who cares? And that's kind of that case uh, sera sera attitude. So what? Big deal. And that was a sin. That was corruption. Now, another interesting thought on this, ladies and gentlemen, is that when you are in corruption of worship, there there is no warning of judgment that comes. God's already given that. Uh, there's no warning. And I mentioned, and I've said this several times behind this pulpit, God always warns before he judges. And I can't find any warning to Nadab and Abihu. I can't find any warning to Exodus 32. In other words, they should have known better. Are y'all with me? That's why judgment must begin first in the house of God. I don't believe we're going to be warned. We're already warned. The Bible's already given us how we're to approach God and who he is and his holiness and what he expects. And they that worship me, the Bible says, are y'all with me today? Somebody needed to smile or go home, man. Uh, uh, The point is, they that worship me must worship me in... Now you're all smiling. Uh, But uh, must... Must worship me in truth and in spirit. Okay, that is a must. Okay, so, so as, as God's people, we cannot take the worship of God tritely or lightly. Uh, he's a holy God. And so I was praying about what we would bring this week and trying to kind of work through some of this uh, material. And I was reminded of a sermon that I preached a couple of years ago. And I don't even know the title of the sermon, but the illustration was incredible uh, on out of Luke chapter 7, uh, where Jesus went to a Pharisee by the name of Simon's house. And it's a very interesting story. He is invited by the Pharisee, uh, verse 36, come into his house and uh, and he's there. And while he's there speaking to this Pharisee by the name of Simon, a woman walks in and the Bible calls her a sinner. Now, there's a couple cross references you can put there. Anytime the Bible says that she was a sinner, uh, it is of the most horrific type of sin. I mean, it would be more like adultery. It was uh, pedophilia. If you could say it in art vernacular, it would be the drug pushers. It would be the harlots, whatever it was. She was a sinner. It was a very sinful person. Okay. So she walks in the door of the Pharisee's house, Simon. She comes behind the Lord Jesus Christ and she begins to wash his feet. She breaks an alabaster box of oil, of ointment, puts it on her feet, uh, his feet, and then begins to wipe the, uh, uh, his feet with the tears and that alabaster oil. And the fragrance, of course, could have filled the room. And she's weeping and she's on her face and she's crying. And, and Jesus is, it's very, again, one of those most awkward conversations and scenes in the New Testament. That's kind of, I guess, strange. 
you have a very civil conversation. In walks this woman. She's there on the floor behind the Lord, weeping and crying while you're trying to talk to him. They're all, they're all awkward. And so the Lord Jesus Christ addresses this, and here's what he said in verse number 20, uh, verse number 40, uh, verse number 40. He said, Jesus answered and said unto Simon, listen to this, I have somewhat to say unto thee. Now, I got something to say to you, Simon. And I think Jesus has something to say to all of us today. Okay? And he saith, Master, say on. Go ahead and talk. And there was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore, I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. That phrase right there, to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. So here's the question. We've been dealing with corrupt worship, but here's the question I have for us. Why should we worship God? Why are we here? Why did you wake up this morning and come in from all over the county to come to church? Why do you witness? Why do you do good works? All of which, by the way, is worship. Your works are a worship to God. Your tithe is a worship to God. You've given 10% minimum today to the Lord. If you return your tithe to the Lord, you're worshiping your God in the time that you have spent in your gain. You're worshiping your God with the voice that you brought today, the voice of thanksgiving and gratitude, the voice of praise. That's a sacrifice to God. And the question I guess we have to kind of put behind this is why? Why are we doing this? What is the purpose of our worship? Why should we worship God? And I find here in Titus chapter 3 a very interesting uh, passage of Scripture that really kind of, if you would, solidifies. And I believe this. If you don't believe it, you're not going to do it. All right? You will do what you believe. Or you'll fake for a while that you're doing it, but you're not going to do it for a long time. Are you all with me? Worship must come from something more than just, I'm going to get around my friends in church and I'm going to have my Bible in my hand and I'm going to do what they do because they all do it. Okay? And that may be good, but it's not going to do anything for God at all. So our question is, why should we worship? And I believe the answer is in all through the scripture, but let's look at a couple of them. If you pick it up in verse number three, watch what it says about us. For we ourselves, ladies and gentlemen, that's us, uh, also were sometimes foolish, Titus 3.3, disobedient, deceived, 
serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Why should we worship God? Let me give you number one. Number one, because of what he thinks of us. Now, it's not all on this, but please note here, because of what he thinks of us. Now, I don't know if you ever care about what people think of you, but most people do. And there's some that say, I don't care what people think of me. You do. You do. All, all people, there, you're concerned. Um, it's, it's why if we took a picture of this auditorium uh, and I gave it to you, you know you're going to be looking for you. <laughs> what do I look like? <laughs> you, you care what people think of you. And uh, was my hair in place or whatever? And so, But the question is, uh, to the extent most of us do care what people think of us, here's the problem. Here's the problem we many times face. We got three major voices, if you would, that tell us about ourselves. Number one is Satan's voice. He's got a voice. Uh, and his voice is through deception. His voice is through the Bible says in Revelation 12 and verse number 12, uh, verse 10 and 12, you'll find that he is an accuser of the brethren. Uh, he accuses and he does have a voice and he has something, if you would, to say. He would say to you this morning that you're a failure. You're a total miserable failure. You're a sinner. You're worthless. You're not loved and you'll not amount to anything. That's Satan's voice. And as by the way, it's a voice of what he thinks of you. Uh, there's a voice that the society or the culture has of you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, they're going to say you're a waste of time. You're wasting your time. You're foolish. The Bible says the fourth said in his heart, there is no God, but they would say you're foolish. You're foolish. You're worshiping God. You, you put people under the water up in the baptistry tank and you have all these old songs you sing and you got an old Bible you preach out of and you come together with your families. You dress up and you have your little time together and you're just worshiping someone that died 2000 years ago and they say he resurrected. You're foolish. Society has a voice. They say you're wasting your time, but you also have a voice. Uh, you, you can have a voice that accuses yourself. Bible talks about defiled conscience. A conscience would say you're a fake. You're worthless. No one loves you. No one cares about you. Can I just say this? That there are very loud voices that can drown out the voice of God and what he thinks of you. Now, I'm talking to believers here. If you're an unbeliever today, you're here this morning, there's great hope for you in Christ. But I'm really primarily talking to believers today on their worship of God. And I'll dare say that what Satan says is loud, what society says is loud, and what we say to ourselves are, is very loud. But the reality is, in the end, the only thing that matters is what God thinks of me. And so it is possible, and I would ask the question, is it possible to know the very thoughts of God about you today to help us answer the question, why are we worshiping? Because of what God thinks about us. Now, remember, Titus is going to the island of Crete, Crete, the Bible says, they're gluttonous, they're, they're just stingy people. These are mostly pagan people on the island of Crete. Titus was the pastor. 
So he has to go on this island of these Cretans and bring this great message of a savior. And he needed to put them in remembrance of things uh, after their salvation. And one of the things that he wanted them to know is that God has an opinion about you. And it screams loudly out of the scripture. Look at verse number three again. For we ourselves were sometimes, watch this word, foolish. Foolish. What does God think about me? Well, before you got saved, remember, you were foolish. And the word foolish paints a very vivid picture of what we uh, were. We were ignorant of everything about God. You ever hear a person just talk foolishly about God? They talk about things they don't understand. Uh, they, they make assumptions on things they, they, they don't have a clue of. You ever get into a Bible or a theology conversation with someone that doesn't know the Bible? And they just say, well, I heard, well, someone told me, and they don't have a clue themselves. They're just talking like a fool would talk. And so before you got saved, you were foolish. You were also disobedient. The word disobedient means, according to the verse, it's rebellious toward any authority. Rebellious. No one's going to tell me what to do. Listen, we're in that culture today. Uh, the Laodicean age of the church is a time where it is the rights of the people. It's, we are the most important thing. We are the ones that, uh, are, are that, uh, that call the shots. We're an authority deceived, disobedient. Next one deceived, continually led into a deeper and deeper deception. People can get themselves in a real mess real fast. And it's interesting, being deceived is something that you don't know you're being duped. I mean, if you knew you were being deceived, you would say, I'm not going that way. But people say, and the Bible says, deceived and being deceived. While you're in deception, you were deceiving others. Before you got the light, of course, 1 Corinthians 4, 4 says, the glorious light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, shining in your minds, illuminating your mind, uh, you are by nature the children of wrath, even as others, the Bible says. But when you got saved, you were no longer deceived. But before salvation, you were deceived. You were disobedient. You were serving diverse lusts and pleasures. Whatever you wanted to do, you did. That's why it says very interestingly that uh, the hedonist, Mindset is eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we what? That's hedonism. That is what people do. Hedonist. They were living in malice. See, what Paul's doing here is saying, listen, he says, I want you to, I want to remind you what you were before you got saved. You were living in malice. You know what malice is? It is the intent to hurt someone else. Getting even. Oh, oh. I am going to get them back. That's malice. That's an evil intent to hurt someone else. Malice. Then it goes on to say, living in malice, envy, never satisfied with what you have. Always got to have someone else's. Envying. Hateful. Hateful. No child of God should be hateful. No child of God should live hating someone. Hating another brother, specifically. First John 3 says, uh, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. And he that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have a hate problem with someone, you have a salvation problem with God. I said that in the morning service. Like, Whoa, I never heard that before. I, it wasn't even in my notes. If you have, that's a benefit of having two servants, sermons. I, oh, I want to say that again. And I don't want to say what I just said. 
If you have a hate problem with someone else, you've got a salvation problem with God. Because verse 15 says in 1 John 3, says, Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Ladies and gentlemen, you take it to the scripture here. I'm simply saying, as a child of God, before you got saved, you were full of malice. You're looking to get even. You are full of hate. You're hating one another. You're deceived. You're in a mess before salvation. That's why you didn't get good for God to start loving you. God loved you despite of what you were. Amen. God loved you while you were yet a sinner. God loved you while you were in adultery. God loved you while you were a liar. God loved you while you were thieving and gossiping and being hateful and full of malice, malice and a drunkard. And when you followed the prince of darkness and when you cursed the son of God, uh, he still loved you. So why should I worship God? Because of what God thinks of me now. He died for all that sin. And anyone that says I'm okay with sinning and I'm okay with living with the consequences of sin. You listen to me. You are dealing with the holy God and your worship is corrupt. The evidence of that is in verse number four. Look what it says here. But after, I love that phrase, but after. You know, the conjunctions in the Bible, wake up here. I know some of you are going to sleep here. The, I know I'm being bored. I'm probably bored. I need to stand on my head here. Wake up. Okay. The conjunctions in the Bible are wonderful for us. The word, but let me just show you, but I love that word, but after that, the kindness and love of God, our savior toward man appeared. Amen. In other words, in spite of what you were, despite of what you are, God chose to display his love to you. Verse six says, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our savior. Wow. Wow. That's why Romans five, verse number six says, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly for scarcely a righteous man would die. Yet peradventure, a good man, some would even dare to die, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You didn't get good to get God to love you. So listen, why should I worship God? Because God loved you and forgave you and did a work of grace in your life. And you're just coming back to say, I want to wipe some dirt off his feet. Amen. With my hair. Not that that would work. Are you all here? And if Joe were here, you know that wouldn't work. You don't need a feeling. You need the cross. You don't need a self-help book, which they're okay. I buy them. But the ultimate purpose and the only thing you need to find out what God thinks about you, you go right to the cross. Because you know what the cross says? I love you. That's what it says. I love you despite of what you are. You're full of hate, malice, deceived. I love you. Before I can understand what worship is and why I should worship, I need to understand what God thinks of me. You're precious to God. Look at verse number four. By the, by the way, I'm just going to work through this a little bit. Ring it out, we call it. Verse four. But after that, I like this word, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man up here. What a wonderful, wonderful verse that God loved us 
and he showed kindness to us. God knew who we were. God saw all that baggage. God saw and those thoughts. He saw what we did. He saw where we went. He saw all of that. Isn't that amazing? And yet he says, I love you. Now, I believe this. I believe we have a real problem in churches today because we just don't grasp the enormity of our sin and the abundance of God's love to forgive that sin. After all, hey, you know what? You know, I don't really need to be down there where that woman is. I'm not that bad. I don't need to give no oil to him. I don't need to kiss him because I don't need that forgiveness. To whom much is forgiven, much is required. But this woman here, she loved much. Why? Because she was forgiven much. The more you understand the depravity that you have and that you were as a sinner by nature, cursed and on your way to hell, the more you understand that and the more you can grasp, and I'm just still, I'm 53 years old, I still can't understand his love. I can't get that. I can't understand that, but he loves us. And he does this, interestingly, look if you would in verse number five, not by works of righteousness. You know what your works of righteousness do? They really mess things up if it's done for the wrong reason. Nothing wrong with works. We're going to find that later in the chapter. But not by works of righteousness, which we have done. But look at this phrase here. But according to his mercy, he what? He saved us. Now, the word mercy, if you look it up the 1828 dictionary, there are sometimes Webster, I mean, his definitions are just worth looking at. I love the English and the definitions, and some of you students love it too. I just, it's wonderful just to get that because our, our language so, so many times just gets so diminished. We can't even wrap our mind around what these words mean. But the word mercy, I looked it up in the 1828. Here's what Noah Webster put down in the English language, the oldest uh, 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 definition of this that we have in print today. I think there's one older one. The Cambridge, I believe, is an older dictionary, but the 1820 is what we use. Here's what it says. According to mercy, here's what it says. Mercy, that, no, listen, here's the definition. That benevolence, mildness, or tenderness of heart, which disposes a person to overlook injuries. Hmm. How many have ever been injured by someone? Or to treat an offender better than he deserves. The disposition that tempers justice and induces an injured person to forgive trespasses and injuries and to forbear punishment or inflict less than the law or justice would, will warrant. In this sense, there is perhaps no word in our language precisely synonymous with, with mercy that which comes nearest to it is grace. It implies benevolence, tenderness, mildness, pity, or compassion, and clemency, but exercise only toward offenders. Mercy is a, dis- listen to this, mercy is a distinguishing attribute of the supreme being. Woo! The one that is the 
I guess the author of mercy is God himself. And we have been given mercy by our God. And so before I understand why I should worship, I should understand what God thinks of me by showing and giving me what I don't deserve. Mercy. I've offended him. And yet he did not judge me. Verse 5. <laughs> According, he's, what, what does he do with it worth mercy? Watch what he does. He saved us. Mercy saved you, brother. He saved us. And by the, by, the, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Watch these words here. Saved. Saved from the penalty of sin. You're no longer going to hell. Amen. Amen. He saved you by mercy. You are on your way to heaven now. Woo! Glory to God. Saved. Number two, washing. He cleanses us from the defilement of our sin. He gives you a good old bath. He washes you up. He puts you out and cleans you up with the Holy Ghost. The mercy of God not only saves you, but he washes you. And then he says here, regeneration. You're different. You don't do the things you used to do. Are you all with me? You don't say the things you used to say. You don't act the way you used to act. You don't go to the places you used to go. Why? Because you are a new creature. You've been created a new creature. You don't curse like you used to curse. You don't drink like you used to drink. You don't go to the place you used to go. Why? Because you are changed. God did that through his mercy. The mercy of God changes us, saves us, washes us. I love this. And then he renews you. That next word, renew. He placed the Holy Spirit of God. What's, what's that doing? He is renew, he's deepening your relationship with him. Holy Spirit. Wow. That's why, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Those works will mess things up. If it's done to get, if you would, favor with God. Our religion, our efforts cannot save us. They only compound the problem. God's love for us was not a love that was done secretly. It was love that was openly given by him being openly shamed for you to be loved, forgiven, offered mercy. Why should I love? Why should I worship? Because of what God thinks of you. Hmm. I wonder... With the woman who I think was Mary. I wonder what she was doing that for. I think it was because. She knew. He was going to forgive her. This is a son of God. Simon didn't get it. Why should we worship? Because of what he thinks of you. Number two, why should we worship? Because of what he did for us. Look at verse number seven, and I'm going to move through this rather quickly. Verse number seven, being justified by his what? Grace, interchangeable with mercy. We should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So he does something here that is a judicial word. It's a, it's a, a word used in law. He, 
uses the word being justified to describe our salvation. Justified, definition, uh, to render righteous or such as he ought to be. It's different than forgiveness. And by the way, forgiveness is saying a lot when someone has been forgiven. Praise God for that. And if you're justified, you are forgiven. But if you are forgiven, you're not necessarily justified. I'm talking about humanly speaking. You can forgive someone and you have no way of justifying them. In other words, if someone were to come and take the life of one of my children or my wife, and I were to offer forgiveness to that person. That would be offered to me, but I have no way of justifying that person. They're still a murderer. They've murdered someone that I love. And I can forgive them by God's grace, but I have no judicial authority to justify them. They're going to prison or they're going to face me. <laughs> All right. If the law don't get him first. Why? Because I can forgive, but I can't, I can't justify. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm simply saying that when you are justified, it is a deeper understanding of forgiveness. It renders you as if you've never sinned. The doctrine of justification is that God re- removes the record I can't even ponder that. He exonerates you. You're no longer a sinner. You're no longer an adulterer. You're no longer a blasphemer. You're no longer disobedient. You're you're just a, a judicial word that when you stand before a holy God, he does not see your record. He sees the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And that's what the apostle Paul was trying to convey when he says that, uh, that, uh, that is imputed righteousness. It's, it's given to you the, the righteousness of Christ. Uh, the Bible says, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Not only does he forgive you, but he exonerates you. He takes the takes the, the 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 penalty away, but he removes all association with what you were. That's justification. And that's not your works. That is the work of Christ, imputing His righteousness. And this is what He does. He takes your filthy, dirty, sinful, wicked life, and He becomes sin. For us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. What an exchange. Are you all here? Why do we worship God? Watch this. Because of what he's done for us. Some, some say, listen, this, this act, this, this, this transfer is a supernatural work. A supernatural work that only Christ can do. Removing your sin giving you his righteousness and becoming sin for you. Who knew no, he, he knew no sin. You were the sinner and he took your place. That's why we should never, can I stop here and say, we should never love our sin. Our sin is an offense to a holy God. 
our sin put him on that cross. Anyone to say my jealousy, my anger, my hateful spirit, my malice, whatever sin you want to commit, your rebellion, your stubbornness, your anger, your, your, your jealousy, put anything you want in sin. If you want it and you love it, you are offending a holy God because he forgave you for that sin and justified, exonerated you from the penalty of that sin. It's too wonderful for us to really grasp, isn't it? It's just, and some may hear say, well, that gives me an excuse to sin then. I'm already forgiven. If the Lord doesn't remember, then he's already declared me righteous, then I can just do as I please with no consequences. If you think like like that, you're, you're dead wrong. You're way off base. People that want an excuse to sin will not worship God. If you want your excuse to sin, do as you, you're not worshiping. You're not worshiping God now if that's what you want. You're not worshiping God. If you're watching online, if you want your sin, you're not worshiping God because the God that forgave you, if you're saved, has exonerated you. And if you want that more than him, then you're not worshiping him. Why should we worship God? Because of what he thinks of you. Why should we worship God? Because of what he's done for you. Why should we worship God? Lastly, number three, look in verse seven. That being justified by his grace, we should be made what? Heirs. According to the hope of eternal life. Why should we worship God? Because of our future. Heirs. So Jonathan's researching some Duke is back there or some whatever. I'm like, maybe there's like unfunded liabilities or something back there that we can find. Maybe Lynn, you're a princess of some descendant. No. Heirs of some lost estate waiting for the great, 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 great grandchild to claim it. No. But you know, in Christ, we're heirs. We have an inheritance that's coming. And the blessing is, is that it's our future. Now, Satan comes to us and tells a believer tonight, today, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your time. He's, He's not alive. God is dead, they said in the 1960s. He's a waste of your time, waste of your effort, waste of your, your, your resources. It isn't going to pay you. It doesn't pay off and, and uh, pray, read your Bible. You're going to waste your time. And all that is something that he would love for all of us to believe. But I will dare say, ladies and gentlemen, we don't worship God just because it's a great place to come to and show our new tie off. We worship God because of what he thinks of us. We worship God because of what he's done for us. We worship God because of where we're going. One day we're going to be in his presence. We're going to see him face to face. And we're going to receive that inheritance. And the Bible says it's reserved in heaven for you. The Bible says it's guarded by the angels where rust doth not corrupt, moth doth, doth not eat. I'm loosely quoting the verse. In other words, it doesn't rot. It's an inheritance that's prepared for you. I'm looking forward to that. 
I am. The older I get, I, and I used to hear older preachers say that, and I was like, I'm not there yet. Well, I'm getting there. <laughs> it's kind of looking pretty good. Heaven. Heaven. A partaker of an inheritance. But do you realize that we really have it really good right now? We really do. Um, I've got, in a sense, heaven now. Not all the bliss, not all the joy and the lack of pain and all that. I don't have that, but it's in my heart. And through the eyes of faith, we can see heaven. That's why the Bible says, I hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. We understand that. But the Bible does say, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. There's a spiritual eyesight that you and I need to have. Hebrews 11 says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and, and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth. Are you all here? So there's something that, ladies and gentlemen, we can see that we can't see. There's something we can fasten our spiritual eyes to that we haven't seen with our naked eye, our physical eye. It's heaven. It's the hope of eternal life. The city whose builder and maker is God himself. And the Lord says here that it's going to be wonderful one day. And the Lord has promised me some things today. Do you realize he promised to meet my needs today? But my God shall supply all your wants now. There's a lot of wants we have. Every time I look at the, the go to the gun store, there's another want. Another want. I went down to, uh, to look at a car for Jonathan. And uh, Tom Wall, by the way, a good believer in Christ, uh, owns uh, Tom Wall down there. He's a good guy. Talk to him. He's got a good testimony. And getting a small little car for Jonathan. His car went in the, in the, in the water for, through the hurricane down there in Pensacola. So trying to replace that with insurance money. I drove into the parking lot and there was an M6 Mercedes sitting there. <laughs> 2015. 46,000 miles. I said, I just want to see it. He says, sure. That's how much? 45000 Just $125,000. I said, I know, I know, I know. No. Just let me sit in it. The leather. The steering wheel. Lynn's looking at me. Okay, okay, okay. I know I can't have it. <laughs> There's things you want. Can you imagine Pastor Shepard running around Finley, Ohio with an M6? Uh, 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 I'm kidding. Totally kidding. So I said, wants are one thing, but needs are another. My God shall supply all your needs. Needs. And the blessing is, is that there's uncertain times all the time. But it's a blessing to know that we have a God that promises to meet our needs. That's wonderful. We have a God that cares about us when we face trials. We have a God that listens to us when we pray. We have a God, any way you want to take it, if you're saved, you're privileged right now. Right now. Before you get to heaven, you're privileged right now. But beyond that, one day, 
Those two feet, if you're saved, your two feet will walk down streets of transparent gold. You're going to be able to see through the gold. I can't understand that. I can't. Every time I see transparent gold, I can't understand that. You're going to see colors you've never been able to see before. Twelve foundations that are going to be in the city, all different colors, and the light coming out of the city diffusing. I mean, I like the fall time, the colors and the light diffusing through that, that, those, those leaves. I'm like, God, and I'm just praising God, driving with Lynn. Lynn, look what God is doing, showing us right now. His beauty is nothing compared to what we're going to see. The light diffusing through that, those different stones, the city, the emerald rainbow round about the throne, the, the crystal sea, the, the, the water pouring out of the throne and the tree of life on each side of the river, dropping down leaves that will be healing for the nations. Wow! We've got some incredible things we're going to see in the future. Heaven and inheritance. Why should we worship God? Well, because of what he thinks of you. Why should we worship God? Because of what he's done for you. Why should we worship God? Because what he has prepared for you. You're going to go to heaven one day if you're saved. And if you're not used to worshiping here, you're, you're going to get used to it there. Right now, there's four, as I said last week, there's four and 20 elders that are singing right now, holy, holy, holy. Well, I think we're just going to be a bunch of bored people running around just flying into each other. No, it's going to be actually pretty exciting up there. That's why I hath not seen, ear hath not heard. Here's what he's going to, here's what going to say to you. You're going to be, I can see Chris Sorensen walking down. Whoa. Whoa. And Jesus is going to say to Chris and me and everyone else when our jaws are dropped open, I told you, there's no way that you could imagine what it was like. I told you that. I told you you couldn't get it in your mind, your heart. You could even imagine it. You're right. Are you all here? Why should we worship God? Listen, let the corruption out. Let's come to God today and say, wow, you are worthy because of what you've done. 7.5 billion people, and he saved you. What a blessing. This book right here. Wow, the God of this book right here. Letting you have a little love letter while you wait to see him face to face. You see those now scarred hands. Pierced, the Bible says, pierced hands, wounds in his hands. You'll see those one day. They're not scars, they're wounds. You'll see them. And those wounds are there to remind you of what it took to give you what you didn't deserve. Salvation, eternity, heaven. If you're here this morning, say, Pastor, I'm not sure that if I died, I would go there. I, I don't know that. I'd like to know. You ought to come forward. Let us take a Bible and share with you how to be saved. If you're here this morning, say, I'm saved, but I'm not worshiping like I should worship. I need to worship with the understanding of who God thinks I am. I need to worship understanding what God has done for me and justifying me. And I need to worship with the God that one day I'm going to see face to face in a place called heaven. And I want to worship him more thoroughly, more genuinely than I ever have before.